Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hello and welcome back. Uh, I am your host, Horace Dedu, and with me is my co-host, Oliver Bruce. This time coming to us from uh, Northern Ireland, if, I've, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no, this time in, I'm in Donegal, about as Western Ireland as you can oh, get. Oh, sorry uh, about that. Right up in the top coast. So, no, no, regular no, no, no at all. Western Ireland versus, and I'm, I'm in Southern Finland, so... Uh, so we're almost in, uh, within only two hours of each other. Uh, it's 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 remarkable. We're we're so we're so close. Uh, this is as close as we've <laughs> ever been. As close. <laughs> uh, so physically, um, mentally, I think we're we're a lot closer though. So um, today we want to go and discuss what we mentioned last time a little bit about. Uh, we talk about scooters. We talk about scooter economies. Uh, a lot's been happening there. In fact, within within the last week, it's uh, it's gone even more. Uh, it's even more crazy uh, stories coming. If such a thing was possible, yeah, I yeah. know it was amazing. Just to seeing uh, what, what is it? Bird Bird went for a two billion dollar valuation a month after it had gone for a billion dollar valuation, <laughs> I, or is yeah, raising it, losing track. I think billions of dollars have been. Already invested uh, the uh, Lime Lime uh, uh, bikes, which are not going to be bikes much anymore, uh, has actually also been raising and leaks about its business plans have been coming out. Uh, statistics about its uh, performance uh, with scooters and bikes have been coming out. Uh, the The dynamics are such that. Things are, are, are so quickly changing. By the way, even things like Lime getting involved in different form factors as far as the vehicles are concerned, uh, introducing the potentially even for four-wheeled uh, mini pods or, or some, some sort of a form factor related to close to an automobile, or but I would think it's still a micro-mobility vehicle. However, what we want to focus on, given that we're both in Europe now, uh, is a little bit about the European view towards micromobility. And we mentioned this before about cycling in Europe and the history. But the, 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 the facts on the street, and again, this, this might change very rapidly, but the facts are that today cycling is much more of an acceptable alternative to the automobile than, uh, than the scooter is. And some of that has to do with the history of cycling in Europe and the fact that it's been accepted more as an alternative, whereas in the U.S., being a monoculture around the car meant that uh, cycling there was a lot of, there was a zero not a zero consumption of alternatives. Whereas in Europe, cycling is an alternative, and in a, in a in the U.S., uh, a throttle-based scooter is really competing with non-consumption, whereas in Europe, a throttle-based scooter would be competing with an e-bike or a regular bike. And, uh, and and that competition is harder. So as a result, you know, the incumbent, which is the, the bike, is might be doing better in Europe. Though, though just as we speak, uh, Paris, I think, has accepted a, a few hundred scooters from, uh, from at least the Lime, and then there's talk of thousands. yeah i've seen i've seen that they've just launched uh launched across europe and i i think that, you know there was a there was a really interesting tweet storm that came through from steve anderson who you've had on uh, a sim card yep. in the past and he was talking about whether or not he thinks e-bikes or or scooters will win and and how it seems to be defaulting to you know well uh, you know separate from lime's recent launch e-bikes in europe and scooters in the U.S. and I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I, I, you know, as you say, we'll see. In some ways, you, you've already got that long history of cycling, right? Yeah. In, so, in, so uh, in Europe. So here's a little bit of a history lesson. So the Dutch are known for being a cycling country, but it's not always been that way. In fact, uh, Amsterdam, which is the, the sort of the quintessential home of cycling, was on its path to becoming a typical automotive city, the 50s and 60s. 
And uh, it, it is constrained geographically to having very little land and very, you know, having canals and, and therefore quite small streets. And uh, what happened in the 70s was first a bunch, uh, a few accidents took the lives of, of pedestrians, uh, quite a few. And the, um, in, in particular in the city center, and in particular some children were, were victims. Now, the U.S. went through a, a period of early automobile adoption in which there were similar fatalities and, and, and concerns about uh, pedestrian safety. But uh, it's resolved uh, during the 20s to separate pedestrians from cars. And so they were, you know, pedestrians were segregated to sidewalks, also known as pavements, by the way, because they were paved before the, the streets were. Curiously, but uh, yes, that there was a time huh. when, when uh, the only part of the street that was paved were, were the sidewalks, and and so the U.S. segregated and created laws against jaywalking and and traffic was regulated, licensing was regulated. Now, Europe coming much later to automobiles did not embrace them as as enthusiastically, because there were these alternatives for so long. Now. Cut the short story short is that a civic efforts in uh, Amsterdam were so uh, vocal that already in the 70s uh, plans were abandoned to convert the city into a super highway friendly environment and 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 so if you see some is that is that mean freeways freeways through the center of the city yeah that, so, is so that the sort of model USA if you look at some of the plans for Amsterdam there were going to be the classic elevated divided highways uh, that would pass through the city and that there would be the the American style of um, surface streets and, and 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 highways right through the middle of the city which were again uh, in our sensibility today, would appear to be a travesty. But in the modern thinking of the times, this was the better way forward. In fact, England went ahead with a lot of those plans. Um, and not doing so, you were thought of as being somewhat backwards. And, and those plans uh, were put in reverse in some U.S. cities, in particular in Boston. Uh, plans were canceled to extend infrastructure through Cambridge, for example, um, uh, in, in, huh, in, 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 in San Francisco, they actually demolished one of the highways which connected the Bay Bridge to Golden Gate. So right now, if, you're in, if you know, the Golden Gate Bridge sort of just ends on a street. It doesn't connect into a highway. Yeah, it does. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, turns, it turns from this giant highway into a bunch of city streets. I always found that fascinating about, about uh, San Francisco. Well, there's a reason. And so it wasn't the same thing. If you come up from the south either through 101 or, or, or 280, there's no easy way to connect through the city to, to uh, get onto the, the points north um, and the Golden Gate, and, and there is a way to get to the Bay Bridge. And so the plan was that, that actually the Bay Bridge and the points south would be connected to points north through this elevated two-level highway that went over the uh, the uh, waterfront, so exactly now where the wharfs are. Um, right, where Market Street Mark, is yeah, at the water. Exactly. Even. At that point, there was a there yeah, was in the eighties there was a highway there, and it got demolished. Yeah. Um, that got demolished after the earthquake. Anyway, we're getting way off track. We're way off track. <laughs> so but, <they> were... <laughs> but the point is that if you look at cities like like through that lens of of streets and and the design of of highways, Amsterdam said no. Uh, Amsterdam stopped this in the 70s and and doubled down on the cycle. And to this day, they're still in the forefront of uh, design for cycling, uh, which means they continue to uh, separate the, the cycling paths from, from the car and from the pedestrian so that they were essentially having infrastructure for different speeds. Uh, and so the Dutch went that way since uh, the 1970s, and it's, it's been, you could say, 50 years in that, down that road. The Dutch overall have de deployed an infrastructure for cycling that is nationwide. So you can go almost yes. from anywhere to anywhere on the cycle. Uh, the, the Denmark is uh, 
bigger in the sense that uh, it, it's more more sparse, but but they're they're also trying to do the same. The Germans are starting to go that, that way as well with cycling superhighways that connect uh, points far apart with flat level, good grade of asphalt. Now, speaking of flat, how how much of that do you think is is because the Netherlands is flat? I mean, I, I'm thinking of other cities that, for example, might have a lot of hills where to have all of the cycling infrastructure is tricky. Is it is it are the Dutch? Do you think it it really uh, hit off in the adoption there because of the flatness? Well, uh, it certainly helps. Now, one thing is that so this comes up a lot when when you talk about micromobility. People say, well, the weather is uh, is problematic. If so, we we like to move in little houses we have little rooms that we sit in which are what cars have become uh because they're sheltered uh they're shelter in its own right but uh we have climate control inside the inside our box um this wasn't always the case but but you know early cars were open to the elements and and we didn't have air conditioning until the 1960s um, and widespread not until the 1990s but uh the nonetheless now we assume that transportation means shelter. And so never mind the fact that when you're walking, you don't have shelter. And certainly uh, the argument made by cyclists is that if you can walk, you can cycle. So we, we, we don't uh, need to necessarily have always with us a, a, uh, a roof over our heads when we, when we travel. Uh, we, can, we can compensate with clothing. But... Uh, but yes, there is that point about weather. And the secondly, and, and by the way, just on this, just continuing on that, uh, the Dutch weather isn't always nice. You know, there's plenty of days when it's wintry, uh, <laughs> and yet they cycle throughout the year. Uh, and same with Copenhagen, which is quite far north. It's not as frosty as, let's say, Moscow or Saint Petersburg, but even points north, uh, like Helsinki, where I'm now, Oslo in, in Norway, Stockholm in Sweden, have quite a, quite a bit of cycling that happens year-round. Uh, but let me put aside for a moment the weather. The, the other thing you raised was whether you have hills. And yes, hills are, are going to impede progress and impede your travel on a cycle. However, we have the electric cycling coming, and that has the ability to sort of flatten hills. So what, what, I, what I like to say is that technology solves a lot of these problems. So we, have, we have potential also to mitigate some of the weather issues with things like power, uh, traction control to re, you know, uh, alleviate problems with, uh, with traction, um, and shelter uh, and, and heat and other things that can be added to, to the cycling experience. Um, and then potentially having three wheels, which will stabilize the whole system, having uh, uh, ABS and traction control, and potentially even adding a small amount of uh, uh, shelter. But to me, these are not interesting questions. I think these are uh, solvable the the what more curious about Europe is culturally how it, it dealt with micromobility and how we are at the cusp of potentially uh, massive adoption of shared mobility um, or shared micromobility and and this is this is where the data is interesting so a couple of data points uh, Europeans have taken to electric cycling in in tremendous numbers. Um, the, the growth rate right now in, in vehicles uh, owned for, for um, <clears throat> personal use, about 20 to 30% in most countries in Europe in, in retail-based distribution of, of personal bikes. Germany, last year, 760,000 e-bikes were sold. There is an expectation that we're going to reach a million e-bikes per year in Germany within another one or two years. I'll be going to Eurobike actually next week, which is a trade show dedicated to cycling in Europe. But uh, it's a vendor show, so you, you have hundreds of bike models available. And last year when I was there, there were 700 plus e-bikes on show. And I think this year we'll see over a thousand e-bikes. So it's really, uh, e-bike is driving growth in Europe for the whole cycling industry. But what we're not seeing a lot of is electric shared e-bikes and i think that's coming um we have a few um, i actually have a personal interest in one such system um, in switzerland 
um we'll yep. talk to them soon enough and we'll get the we'll get the operations details from them but the um that's starting up now reasons are that e-bikes are more expensive um the average retail price is probably close to 2000 euro i think you can get a decent bike for uh, uh maybe 1200 but they range all the way up to 10,000. And so price points are at or above the price of a moped or a scooter. Uh, I should say, you know, yeah, let's focus absolutely. on the word moped here. Moped being a motorized vehicle. And these are not, European standard for e-bike is not a throttle system, meaning that you don't either twist or push a throttle, a button to get power. You, you only get power if you pedal yourself. And this is called the pedelec or, or pedal electric uh, bike and um, we've had pretty good growth there. Um, mm-hmm. What what I'm curious about, and you know, sort of the the path forward for micromobility in Europe is whether we'll see uh, sharing of the vehicles, uh, fleets of these being available, and which would not be docked, uh, which would be free floating. And absolutely, and, and and sort of a mix of personal and shared, but with with as a result building the infrastructure. As I said, with the Dutch showing that if you build it, people will cycle. If you build the infrastructure, people will cycle. So now parts of the Netherlands we see parking for cycling becoming really uh, uh, designed for that purpose. We have uh, cycling garages, um, underground, multi-level garages for example one-way cycling paths uh, so that cycling can be properly managed for traffic uh, i've seen cycling overpasses so you essentially have bridges that are only for cycling um, and you mentioned uh, um, you know uh, lifts or conveyor belts or an escalator for bikes having ways of of, of walking with bikes uh, when you go up and down uh, and, and so on. It's just these are basic details. It seems to you know outside of Europe, these seem a little bit eccentric and, and odd. But actually, it's it's a it's a natural adaptation of the automotive infrastructure to to cycling. Although uh, for cycling, the costs are fractionally um, much much smaller. So so you, I would estimate about ten percent of the cost of. Um, of an automotive infrastructure is what you need for a cycling infrastructure. And you get just generally higher throughput. Initially, you'll see relatively few riders, but over time, people discover it and the adoption really takes off. Um, Some people say, well, I don't see anyone cycling. We don't need to build any infrastructure. But someone also said, uh, I think the best phrase I've heard is, uh, is no one designs bridges uh, by counting how many people swim across a river. So it's it, it's <laughs> yeah. definitely an, it's true. an induced yep. it's an induced demand. Almost all traffic is induced. So when you build it, they will come. Uh, the the and this has been the story of Europe. And in, in in the U.S., it's much more much more chaotic, and things happen fast. They happen with um, with a lot of capital, private capital allocated. In Europe, it's a lot more public capital. Um, we have much more consensus and and much more regulation. Uh, just to touch on regulation for a bit, I mean, in the European uh, uh, transportation regulations are such that all these motorized or electric bikes have to fit within very tight um, uh, limitations. So the pedelec I mentioned is restricted to 25 kilometers per hour uh, under some uh, designation. And there's another one at 45 kilometers per hour and and yeah that's the uh that's the stromer yeah the stromers i uh took one of those out in dublin and it was um that was revelatory (laughs) it was it was it was like a porsche uh i think you've you've mentioned that in the past about how how quick it is to ride but it was really something when you when you uh are experiencing the city at that speed it's quite something else uh, yeah so so the, the whole thing about the categorization of the vehicle by its performance, this is this is something that Europeans are very good at. There's dozens of micro mobility categories if you look at the at the at the regulations and from two two wheels to four wheels, um, off road, on road, uh, motorcycle, uh, moped, 
um, multiple e-bike types. Sure. I, I'm just really curious because, as you say, there's not been that emergence of, of electric sharing in uh, in Europe, whereas you can sort of see that emerging in, in the US. I mean, it, it certainly Jump launched in San Francisco and had uh, had been operating elsewhere, but Jump is the, the, the sort of um, electric chargeable... Uh, bikes, but then you also have the emergence of the scooters. Do you think because they don't have that classification, I'm just thinking from an entrepreneur's perspective, the high levels of regulation and, and legislation around this in Europe, do you think that's actually prohibiting the adoption of this? I think there's a little bit less experimentation, but it's not like the US is without regulation. What happens typically, though, is that there's a lot more wiggle room. So like there's, there's no laws against uh, hoverboards or boosted boards, which are uh, the, the uh, electric uh, skateboard and, and, and scooter. And so we talked about this evolution last time. The US tends to sort of allow by default and then maybe come in and later restrict based on safety and, and community considerations. Europe is more preemptive, saying it's forbidden unless it's permitted. And so if anything has a motor on it, unless it's type approved, it cannot be on, a, on, a, on, on public uh, roads. So it, it's kind of this question of what is the default. Uh, but eventually, I think they normalize. The, um, you know, they might differ. Even the UK is different than Euro the rest of Europe as far as these uh, pedal acts are concerned. Uh, and, and so the limit, the speed limit on, on the vehicle. I think it's best not to get into what are the, you know, this is something needs to be done by an entrepreneur. You need to understand what the rules are. But I think the longer term, and we're talking just five years out or three years out, it's going to change dramatically, I think, as, as the injection of hardware and software into the space and, and electric motors, batteries, we talked about before, and, and essentially smartphone components all coming into the vehicle. I think the, the business models that are coming in as well with respect to sharing and free-floating and GPS enabling all that, all this is really going to lead to this uh, supernova of, uh, of experimentation and evolution. And I think looking at hardware only is just the tip of the iceberg. The hardware side, as, as I said, in terms of how many different types of wheels and, and, and size of wheels and configuration of wheels and, and you know intelligence in, 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 in the in the drive system all of this is happening very very quickly and and, and simply sure. much faster than the automotive is so that's what makes it so exciting i think when we you mentioned steve's comments about you know how it varies there's also asia which is possibly also evolving in a slightly slightly different direction with its concerns for in urban environments and we talk about climate we talk about culture as well and, and, and the history that that uh, uh, whether you were built from a certain era so um, what is in common what is it common about amongst all these places is urbanization uh, the increasing number of citizens living in cities and so the increasing congestion I don't think there's any place in the world where traffic is getting better rather than worse the um, the concerns for pollution and the concerns for CO2, these are global concerns. Um, CO2 and other pollutants, obviously. Uh, diesel is not a victim of, of uh, a failure of reducing CO2. Now, I posted recently a, um, a bar graph uh, on Twitter, which was a survey uh, response to why do people in Copenhagen, just asking people, you know, why did you choose to cycle today versus driving? And, um, you know, again, bearing in mind that most Dutch people or Dutch households have a car. In fact, the, the availability of cars in Holland since the 70s has increased. The penetration of automobiles in society has increased. But, but hmm. the, the utilization and the opportunity to substitute alternatives has uh, increased even more. And so... This is the thing, is that there isn't us or them. Everyone on a bike in, uh, or everyone in a car in, 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 in Holland or in the Netherlands um, is, knows somebody who cycles. So they're going to be more cautious. They're more, more aware. So again, the same with Copenhagen. These are not countries where uh, automobile use uh, is, is, uh, is non-existent. It's, it's, it's very much cohabiting or coexisting with 
with uh, micromobility. Um, it, it is more expensive to, to drive. It is more expensive to own a car in these countries. Uh, but the wealth is such that people do have that option and they, they, they certainly own, own many, many cars. Um, but I think the, the, the overall theme in Europe is that if you build infrastructure, if you make available the option to cycle, people do it. And that graph that I was pointing out is what is the main reason by far it was that it was faster. So they were cycling, uh, and this is in Copenhagen again, they were cycling huh. because Interesting. speed was the first thing. So it's 56% was that it was faster. 19% it was because it gave them exercise. 6% it was, it was less expensive. And 1% that it was, it was uh, for, the, for the benefit of the environment. Uh, so 56% uh, was of a higher utility. It was more about time saving. The, um, yep, interesting. The, as a result, um, because cycling is so fast and convenient, um, the number of people, and this is again Copenhagen, the number of people cycling into the city center uh, in 2016 exceeded the, the, the number of cars coming into the city center. So the car number has been decreasing steadily whereas the bicycle number was been, has been increasing, but even faster than the, than the car has been decreasing. So the overall number of trips has gone up. It's not been a one-to-one -one substitution, but the, the increase in cycling was such that, um, you know, it went from 100,000 to 265,000 from 1970 to 2015. So, you know, it's two and a half times, but uh, hmm. automotive traffic went down from something around 350,000 to 250,000. So, um, you know, it dropped by about um, 100,000 per day, whereas cycling increased by 150,000. So, so net net, you have an increase in number of trips, but it's, you see how, how much substitution the, the, the car did. Um, and again, from, a, from an isochronic point of view, so given a fixed amount of time, how far can you get? The, the cycle always sure. wins. And I'm looking at the same data here the same report that the amount of real estate allocated even in Copenhagen is 54% uh, of the space in Copenhagen is is for car lanes 12% is for parking of cars along the curb or on the street 26% uh, is to sidewalks and only 7% is to cycling so of the of the real estate available so 66% for the car Wow, sixty-six yeah, percent. This is a, again Copenhagen, which is thought of as a very kind of progressive city when it comes to this infrastructure. Uh, so bus lanes are one percent, by the way. So uh, that is what the real estate is. But in terms of, of modal share, which is how many how many Copenhageners commute uh, to work or education, sixty-two percent are going by bike, twenty-one percent by public transit, eight percent by walking, and only nine percent by car. So although sixty-two percent of people. Um, or modal share, uh, not people, modal share, percent of trips are taken on bikes, they only have 7% of the infrastructure. And um, whereas 9% of the trips are taken by car, they have 60 plus percent. So it's completely opposite of uh, the, the allocation of land versus the allocation of trips. And so it, it's a fact of the matter that car is just so inefficient in terms of space. It's so inefficient in terms of throughput of people. So, you know, I'm not here to judge this evil or not, but it's only to point out that a little bit goes a long way. A little bit of infrastructure, 7% allocated to cycling has, has caused 60% uh, of the trips to be taken through that mode. So it, it, it is very much a design for, uh, uh, you know, for, 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 the, for the mode. I, I, you know, here's the thing. I'm curious how 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 does how does that get funded? Because and the reason I bring that up is I I know with the the scooter proposals in Santa Monica, that they will be providing a per trip subsidy on their proposed things, which they then intend to fund. They then sort of intend for the the, the scooter trips um, into the sort of the the electric sharing schemes like Bird and etc. Um, that that funding is then folded into building of new infrastructure. Well, I'm curious about how that happens in, in, uh, in Europe. Is it just public funds? Oh, it's normal. It... Look, uh, the U.S. spends, uh, every country spends uh, billions, if not trillions of dollars a year 
altogether, I think it's trillions, um, on, on, on road infrastructures. Um, the, the, there's no shortage of money for building roads or maintaining them. I mean, certainly there might be a shortage compared to what, the, what people want, but there's plenty of money going into this. The, the, the point about cycling infrastructure is that you only ask for tiny bits compared to you know, 1% or less. In the, US, in the U.S., the total is practically 0%. I think in Europe, it's simply you know, 1%, 2 3% maybe. I would say even, even, even there, it's less than that, but uh, less than 3 I, I think you don't need a lot of money. So the, and and this, this comes from the general funds allocated toward, you know, to, to transport um, infrastructure. I think the U.S. idea of, or these businesses' ideas that we will we'll, we'll sort of uh, collect money is, is like charity work. I mean, it's nice, but it, it, it's not normal to rely upon it to keep people uh, moving. So this will all change. Again, we're, we're, I don't like to put the emphasis on either infrastructure or policy, those are essential. But if you wait for them to happen, you may have to wait many years. And what you should be asking is how can we accelerate this? And if we, if, if yes. we, if we induce demand, political things tend to get accelerated. So when you have the most influential people in society riding, cycling, that perception of value will very quickly get to those in power. Um, if you marginalize it, it's out of sight, out of mind, not, not much will happen. But again, so it's, it's, it, all these systems are, are, are feedback systems. Historically, uh, people taking the leadership role, people, uh, and, and now capital as well, private capital is uh, used to, to um, deploy fleets, to um, educate the public, to accelerate the adoption both of, of owned and shared mobility. And, um, and that's just the virtuous cycle that will lead to the laws that will, uh, will eventually transform cities into, into places where, where micromobility is seen as the primary mode as opposed to something of a hobby. So that, that's, that's the history. And in yeah. Europe is the, is, is the way we can look at things. Now, what I don't think will repeat globally is the rate of change in Europe. I think Europe was very, has been very moderate in, in terms of change. Historically, also, we saw the same thing with phones, where, where Europe was a sort of leading in terms of GSM. The U.S. was lagging. But things very quickly changed when software got into, entered into the picture. And so uh, the U.S. mobilized very quickly with its ecosystems around iOS and Android, which, which then rapidly accelerated um, the building of phones, uh, the building of apps, and um, and again, we can see the same thing where where networks um, in mobile uh, are equivalent to cycling infrastructure in transportation, and um, you need both. You need the infrastructure and you need the device, and you need the apps and you need the operating system, and you need the business models to tie it all together. And it's happening. It's happening nicely. And I, I look. I'm going to be. Uh, I, let me let me play somewhat. Devil's advocate. I, I, I think that. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not so I'm not so gang ho on that <laughs> about the U. I'm not so gang ho on the US. I think. Um. Uh, I I think there's sort of certain places, certain pockets where it will really work. But I don't think there's a direct parallel there between the, the development of the cellular infrastructure and 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 the development of these infrastructure, um, in terms of business models. Because you look at it, I, I I'm just thinking very practically. You've got the US, which has sprawled. So there, you know, there are pockets and small towns and cities and things like that but generally speaking the, the rule in the u.s is that those towns are very um, diffuse whereas europe typically the the center of the towns is a lot tighter which i just think makes it easier for when you want to have the adoption of electric um, lightweight vehicles i struggle to see that happening in the u.s where you've got sprawl of giant suburbs and things like that and there's probably not the direct parallel when you've got transfer of information via a cellular network versus actually still having to move physically yeah. through that space. So cellular, the, the thing that makes cellular so so easy to, to propagate uh, is that it is points on a map. It's, these are literally cell stations that are requiring minimal real estate. Uh, they're on top of buildings or uh, on towers. And they're not 
there was a bit of pain involved in deploying it, but it, it, it didn't require us to pour a lot of concrete and, and pave a lot of, uh, a, a lot of land. And, and, and that's not the case with, with transportation infrastructure. Transportation infrastructure re, you know, requires an enormous amount of real estate, an enormous amount of raw material and, uh, and capital. Um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you think about cellular, you're going to multiply by a factor of 100 probably to get the, the physical uh, roads. However, the, the thing, so this is not so much about whether it'll happen. What the question is more is how quickly things can happen on scale. The, in many ways, the U.S. is misarchitected uh, for transportation into the next century. It was built. Sure. It was built of a time, and it made a lot of sense when it was built the way it was. That was the age of the automobile, and it was liberating. It was em empowering. It was uh, wealth forming. It, it is a lot of value. I love the automobile as a as a as a twentieth century disruption. Uh, it 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 certainly one thing it has is this point to point nature, uh, which the railroads didn't. Um, it has. Um, packetized um, uh, relative to to uh, you know the 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 rail the railroad is one huge packet which is a train whereas cars are many thousands of tiny packets which kind of can go anywhere and so there there's some who suggest well the efficiency of of rail is so much higher or busing is so much higher but but it's not point to point um, or universal addressable and it's not um, mm -hmm. it, doesn't save, solve the same yeah yeah it's 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 accessibility at the end of the day so cars are hugely hugely uh prolific because they go anywhere and and uh and and, and divide uh space and time well you know you can put one person or four people in one place and anyway a, a lot of details there but my my thinking is is that and this is this is the crucial question is all about speed is that would the U.S. be able to uh, re-architect itself? Now, when you think about that, you start to say that would destroy a lot of things. In other words, the suburbs may be very vulnerable right now. And that seems scary because so much of the wealth of the nation is in real estate and that real estate is not urban, right, in a strict sense, right? It's, it's sort of Yep. sprawl sprawl um and it, it would it would require you know some kind of a catastrophe to think that we would re-urbanize the united states but the thing about the u.s and this is both a positive and a negative is, is that u.s has a history of ghost towns the u.s has gone through boom and bust cycles where it has effectively written off giant investments, right? And, and, and the way we see these is, is often as a tragedy. So now, I don't suppose this is going to get uh, you know, repeated, but, but this is possible that we could, see, we could see something on that scale. Now, a lot has to change. And I know it just seems so improbable and impossible at this point. U.S. US is, is, is maybe too mature for it to abandon or what is essentially a sunk cost. Yeah. The thing that I'd push back against there, and this is something that I, we hope to hopefully have that guy called Phil Levin, who's um, with with 99 miles per hour, which is a, a consultancy about um, the impact of autonomous vehicles on real estate um, and the, the, what that's going to look like. I would push back and say, yeah, but we're also going to see at the same time the emergence of autonomous cars, and those are likely to make access to those exurbia areas a lot cheaper so you're going to have this sort of interesting creative tension of hey all of a sudden it's really cheap to get around in our cities but it's also just as cheap if not cheaper <laughs> to also get way out and have far more sprawl and there will be this interesting um you know maybe look that i think they'll probably work quite well together you go and you take a uh, an autonomous uber or lyft or, or something um into the city and then you can get around in the city without needing to um, own yeah. or have your own vehicle while you're there or anything. Maybe that's where that will yeah, so end up being differentiated. But I don't think you'd end up with ghost towns if, if if the cost of housing out there is so low. You'd probably end up with 
a cheap way of being able to get out and around those areas. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that this idea of hybridized uh, multimodality uh, that you would use, um, you would commute via two different modes. You you'd get to, uh, or or not just commute, but potentially do all kinds of trips. We, we, we do this already now. When, when you're traveling by airplane, you're, you're going to take a car usually to the airport. And we, don't think, we think nothing of it. I mean, this is normal. Um, it's the, the, the strange thing is that we think the car should be for everything to everywhere. And I think the introduction of micromobility just adds one more option into this equation. Uh, potentially, and this, the confusing thing is this, that when you have conversations around sharing and, and electric and, and, and autonomy is that somehow they're all car-centric, but I try to think about it as being more, you know, outside of that, that uh, uh, only that domain, right? It's just spreading that technology to, to new form factors. The, the, sure. the car, um, so the autonomous car taking you to a bike and I, I talk I, I talk about this that the urban environments will be increasingly engaging you as a um, as a driver, but in the sense of, of you hopping on a vehicle that you control yourself. Um, there is little need. Think of it this way: if you have a super super congested environment, like imagine a, a street scene in Tokyo where people just swarming all over the place, millions of people on the streets. Um, or you look at think about even a mall or a pedestrian uh, street. People don't in, in in environments where where you're 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 not even on a vehicle. You're on your feet. You don't follow a path. You don't you you have essentially an open space and you you traverse the, traverse that space while blending in with everyone else, but you're actively having to think about how to work, how to walk, which way to walk, how to pause. So it's, 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 the, what I'm saying is that the, the, when, you, when you think about car, the car fits to rules. It has to follow rules. It has to be in a place. It cannot go in other places. It has to follow uh, the traffic signals and you have to watch those signals. And autonomy just takes it all the way where where everything is 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 um, rules based and and you know, um, super regimented, right? Um, I I think the the I'm just trying to push in the exact opposite direction where people engage much more with their environment. They're not in isolation. They're not being being taken by the ultimate machine, which is the autonomous car. But rather, they engage them directly. They are, they are controlling the the journey a hundred percent, the environment, and they are one. That that is the city. That is the, to me, the the, the vision of, of urban mobility is just a super super concentrated, um, fluid, uh, no, you know, mass. And so. I don't know if I'm have, <laughs> making myself clear at all. No, no, I, I find that, I find that super interesting because I uh, I think that there's so uh, when I was at Uber we had uh, we used to get credits and and so when people talk about what is it like to live with a driverless car, well I kind of lived with a driverless car for a long time. I didn't have a car. I used to just I would ride around at Ubers all the time because I had all this credit and. Um, and you and the thing that you become really really uh, attuned to when you when you do that is is you realize just how unproductive driving is and so when you sit in these cars and you get to work away on your laptop or do something on your phone ultimately you're you're saying look people are going to be not distracted and they'll be present to their to their transport but i think that there's a real attraction for a lot of people there around hey, I want to switch off and just do something else. It's almost like my own personal train. It takes me from my door to wherever. And I think there's certainly a lot of attraction there, whereas it's funny, but, you know, even riding on a scooter or riding on a bike, people still, um, you, well, you still have to be present. You still have to be staring around. Yeah, and, um, yeah. You know. So it, it's funny because if you think about what a cyclist or, or let me just do this in a sort of in a recreational setting. So if you have a motorcyclist are, are super, super excited about engaging with their journey, right? They, they want to be in control. It's hard, right? Mo riding a motorcycle is super hard. You have to use controls which are unnatural. Uh, you have to have clutching. You have to have 
uh, uh, two different brakes. You have to certainly shift. You have to deal with 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 motion in in not left and right, but you have to deal with excel. You know, with tilting and and um, forces that 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 car drivers don't usually deal with. Um, it's super unsafe. Um, it just seems like the worst thing you can possibly do um, to design a, a vehicle, <laughs> but it's extremely popular now. I shouldn't say extreme. It is popular among those who who like it. But what, what the thing about cycling, the thing about electric cycling, is that it gives you that thrill of the journey. You you engage. You you are you are also exercising. You are breathing the air, looking around you. Great vision of around you. Right. You, you you're not in a capsule. So the other extreme is put me into a capsule. Put me into a box. Shut my eyes. I don't want to even see the world and just push a button and I'm at my destination. Those are people who yeah. see journeys as a burden. And there are other people who see journeys as an opportunity. Journeys are something that you want to you want to uh, you want to do. Like think about people who are doing this uh, as a recreation. So if you're traveling somewhere, let's walk down the street. Let's experience the world around us. Let's have this pleasant amble. Um, you, you know, see people walking down boulevards, walking down the Ramblas in, 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 in Barcelona. It's all, about, it's all about taking it all in. Now, I understand you, too, you know, commuting and... Um, oh, no, I totally get it. I mean, at the end of the day, you end up like the... Have you seen the, the Pixar film Wally? Yeah, yeah, you of know? course, of I, course. I worry that we'll all end up like these big fat you know, sitting around on yes, these hovering you know, chairs with, that with float a, us everywhere we want to go, totally yeah. passive to life, you know. And you have a screen in your face and a, and a, and a cup that you're, you're, you know, you're drinking from. Um, so, so, you know, you're ingesting calories and consuming none. You're, you're having your brain constantly being stimulated by things far away, not in what is next to you. And this is the, yes. the unbundling of the car is, is that, you know, technologists, and this is, this is, this is not a knock, but Technologists think about just simplifying. I'm asking, think as a technologist about making things harder, making things more complicated, making things, though, that people will want. And this is because the, the, the human psyche isn't just take away friction and make things simpler. The human psyche is also... I want to engage. I'm desperate for contact with other people. I'm desperate for mm. contact with the world. And micromobility offers this in, in, a, in a sort of accidentally. It's, you know, it, 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 it does so because of the constraints that are put upon it. You have to think of the world differently. And this is what I think cities, you know, shopping. Let me just quickly. Shopping used to be about acquiring things. And if you want the easiest shopping experience you just push a button and it'll show up at your door with amazon but increasingly what stores are doing is they're realizing that shopping is not just the acquisition of goods which is a utilitarian function but it's also a social function it's an exploration function it's a it's an experience so a store may be a place you go to experience something as much as a movie theater is a place where you go to experience something and you come away sure. with an object perhaps at the end of the day but you're going to the store because it is a destination so this is the thinking i'm thinking now if you take it to the extreme the transportation is nothing but drudgery and and, and utility and we certainly feel that because we're sitting in traffic so much so please take it away please take away the traffic mm -hmm. Please take away the, the pain and, and, and the waste of time. But in, 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 what you substitute it with is not that you're there in the blink of an eye and you don't even know that the journey happened, but rather let's see how we can make that journey pleasant. And this is fundamentally what I think micromobility is going to enable is that business models will emerge out of this. And this is just I'm laying it out as a, as, a, as, a, as a sort of a big state secret here. But the thing that's going to happen is that as soon as we get over the utility hump with micromobility and we'll realize that, hey, this is actually working, this is actually economical, and this is actually efficient, once you get those simple things out of the way, then the imagination opens up and say, what else can we do now that people are traveling this way? And the business models, just like, yes, the phone is about making phone calls and connecting to information, but really it's all about Facebook and social media and whatever jobs are are being done 
by those uh, uh, media. We see how complex those jobs are and how uh, unintended some of the consequences are. But some of the sure. things that you'll see once we move to the micromobility and this, the really exciting super, supernova of innovation that will occur will be that now we're, the world and the journey are suddenly synchronized in certain ways um, that, that are unforeseen right now. The, the, hmm. the, the, learnings, the learning we have is when you look and observe pedestrian traffic and you observe people perhaps on holidays is that you know, the psychology of, of travel through space of what might you encounter? How can we offer you something to cause you to stop, not to, not to go faster? I want you to think about slowing down. I want you to think about lingering a while. These things are going to come into the picture more and more. Um, it's about making use of that space between A and B and providing something f- for you to, to enjoy. Uh, so so it's, it's, I think this is, this is just it's very profound and very trivial at the same time. Yeah. No, no, no. I, uh, I love it when you get on these riffs, Horace. <laughs> those, those, those are some of the most interesting insights. You have a very interesting way of, of, of seeing the world in that way. It's it's Europe, and this is the thing about travel, and, and my my being fortunate of, of experiencing many places is that is that you start to see the delta, right? You see the differences in the, the European view of the world, and we started this whole show about Europe, and the, the European view of the world is is to slow down a bit. Um, not fast food, but slow food. Not fast trips, but sh- you know, sort of slow trips. Not, you know, take take the train. Um, take the, not quantity, take, quality. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's one part I really love about Europe. And and when you do that, it's 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 you, at what one level it's like okay, that's kind of cool. But at the much deeper level is is that it informs you that the the journey is is just as important as the destination. And and if if we move towards a new transportation infrastructure. I think the way it's going again, this may be a bit dry and boring as a as a as a as a you know business topic, but but really I think the pivot will be not about again speed as the definition of performance, but rather what can you get out of the journey every single time that'll make it wonderful, that'll make it pleasant, that'll make it one one you wanting to do it. And that that's that's why human beings are very interesting, right? We pay to exercise. Um, <laughs> why not? Yep. Why not? Why not think about how the journey, instead of saying I, 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 dollars per minute or or gallons per mile, but think about experiences per per mm. per day. You know, how can you look forward? How can the combination of, of, of innovation, uh, business model, technological innovation, make it so that that commute isn't pain time, but commute becomes pleasure time. That you're willing actually mm. to pay more for that commute because it offers you something that, that you didn't think y- you wanted. You may not want to rush home to watch TV. You may want to just linger. And this is why I think that the, this modality, this modal shift, this, 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 this micromobility will revolutionize much more than in utility terms but sort of in our in our in the way we 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 lead our lives and and it's a little it's a little bit vague i'm afraid i don't know the 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 details but it's something to hope for